we serve him. Take your copy of God's word and turn to Genesis chapter 17. Genesis chapter 17. I want to ask you a couple of questions this morning as we begin. One, I want to ask you this. How many of you are proud of the name that you were given at your birth? How many of you are proud? That's great. That is awesome. Now, how many of you are not proud of the name that you were given at your birth? It's okay. We're among friends, family here this morning. A few of us would admit it. A few of us know that if we could, we would probably change our name. That is, if we would not offend those who gave us our name, we would probably like to change it. Some of us would like to come up with our own variations and our own names. You know, when I look at God's word and I I see those opportunities where God himself actually changes a person's name, it speaks to me because it reminds me that as God changes a person's name, he changes his life and he changes his heart, he changes his destiny, he changes everything about him. Do you know that the God we serve, that he is actually a name changer? He is in the business of taking people and changing their names and changing their lives. Ask Abram, or as we'll come to call him, Abraham. And notice how God works in his life. Genesis chapter 17, beginning in verse 1. It says, when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am almighty God. Walk before me and be blameless. And I will make my covenant between me and you and will multiply you exceedingly. Then Abram fell on his face and God talked with him saying, as for me, behold, my covenant is with you and you shall be a father of many nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham. For I have made you a father of many nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful and I will make nations of you and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you and their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and your descendants after you. Also, I give to you and your descendants after you the land in which you are a stranger, all the land of Canaan as an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. And God said to Abraham, as for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your descendants after you throughout their generations. This is my covenant which you shall keep between me and you and your descendants after you. Every male child among you shall be circumcised, he says. Now, I want you to see this as you read through this narrative. As you recognize that Abraham is 99 years old. That means Sarah is 89 years old. They've been in the land since the call for 24 years or so. 24 years since they had been called by God. And God was still working in their lives. And now God comes to this moment of reaffirming the covenant and changing their names. Both Abraham and Sarah, both of them see their names changed. Now, I want you to see this morning that one, that really God has the authority to change a name. God has the authority to change a name. Somehow, as you talk about names in the scripture and you see this, this idea of changing people's name or naming individuals, it carries with it a sense of authority. 
Now let's go back for a moment to your experience. A moment ago I asked you if you'd like to change your name or if you'd like to keep your name, if you're happy with your name or if you're dissatisfied with your name. You know, you and I were named by our parents or our guardians. In some way we were named, right? They had some type of authority over us to name us. I mean, nobody else has authority except the parent or the guardian. I would never come to your house. I would never come to your house and insist that you name a child after me. I may pray about it. I may hope you would. But I would never come and pretend to have authority over you and your decision making about how you would name your child. Wouldn't do that. Why? Because you have authority. We have authority as parents when we name our children. Well, some of us do. I would say probably my wife had a little more authority than I did. I wanted a Reginald Lyle Bridges Jr. The thought of a little Reggie just frightened her beyond comprehension. She would not do it. So I came up with some other names. She'll tell you that I, I thought about Josiah. She really didn't want to go there. It was a biblical name, but she didn't really want to go there. And then one of my favorite people, an individual that I love to this day more dearly than you could ever imagine, one of the church members there at Pine Grove who just kind of took me in was like a grandpa to me, a grandfather. His name was Grover. I wanted a Grover. She nicks that. So I say to you that some of us have more authority than others. But the idea of naming something or naming an individual carries with it authority. Go back about 15 chapters in the book of Genesis. About 15 chapters in the book of Genesis and you'll see a guy named Adam. And do you remember what he was supposed to do? What God had called him to do? Well, yes, to keep the garden. But also what was he to do? He was to name the animals. In that process of naming, he was to demonstrate his authority over those animals. No wonder that we are told that Adam would, and man, woman, would have dominion over the animals. He would be able to name them. There would be authority that would be present within that. God coming now to Abram and renaming him, God in, in so many ways is saying, Abram, I have authority over you. I have authority over your life. Just as he will look at Jacob, you remember, and he will change his name to Israel. Just as Jesus will look at Simon and he will change his name to Peter. In all of those cases, there's a demonstration of authority. An authority of God saying, I have the right, I have the privilege of renaming you. You are under my authority. And it is even carried forth by the name of God himself, the name that is used here in chapter 17. Notice when God appears to Abram, he identifies himself as Almighty God. The Hebrew is El Shaddai. You've heard of that. Many of you have heard that title. It means something of the strength and the might of God. In other words, when God comes to Abram and he says, I'm going to do this work in you. And when it leads up to the renaming of Abram, it is based upon this presupposition that God Almighty, that God, the all-sufficient one, 
has authority over Abram. So you and I need to understand that today. I mean, we need to understand that God has a right to change our name. He has the authority over us. He is El Shaddai, the sufficient God who has every right to our lives. Why did he have a right to Abram's life? Well, because he had called Abram. If you want to say it, he redeemed Abram. He had worked in Abram's life. And because of that, he had a, he had a right, he had an authority over Abram. And notice Abram's response. In verse 3 it says, Then Abram fell on his face. This is an act of submission, of obedience, of reverence. He understands that this God has the authority over his life and he is one that can certainly change names. Before we think about our lives and before we think about how God makes a difference, we need to understand that God has the authority over all of us. And he has the right, he has the responsibility to work in our lives. That's the God we serve. The God who has the authority. The all-sufficient El Shaddai God who can work within us. He has the authority to change our name. He has the ability to change our name. Now, again, in the scripture, when you talk about names... You are talking about personhoods. You're talking about character. You're talking about personality. When you talk about somebody's name, I mean, names were so significant. They still are in many ways today, aren't they? I mean, there are certain names that have special significance for us. I was named after my great-grandfather, my mother's grandfather. His name was Reginald. And somewhere along the way, he had told my mother that if she named her son after him, he would leave some inheritance to her. He did. Very little, I think, a little pack of dimes that we have and I still have in a lockbox somewhere. But that name was significant for my family. You may not think Reginald's special. You ought to. But you may not. But my mom does because it reflects back to my great-grandfather. So names have this special significance in our lives. But even now, with us thinking about names, we cannot even begin to think about how names were significant in the Old and New Testament both. Because the name, I say, is synonymous with the person. The name was synonymous with the characteristics and the character of the individual. For example, think about the patriarchal story. Think about those two boys that were born, Esau and Jacob. Esau, for example, meant what? Well, it meant something like reddish. Why? Because when Esau was born... He was a hairy young man, as the scripture would say. And he was of reddish tint. So he was named Esau. He carried that with. It reflected his outward appearance. 
Jacob was named Jacob because he was literally catching on to the heel of his brother when he was born. And he was named Jacob, which means something like heel. And if you know anything about Jacob's life, you know he was every bit a heel, right? The deceptive one. Names in the scripture somehow reflected the characteristics and the character of the individual that bore that name. Later on, when Jesus will change, when he will change um, Simon's name to Peter, he refers to him and begins to refer to him as the rock because he is to be the rock. And again, all throughout Scripture, whether it's Hosea's children that are born or, or whether it is David who is the beloved one, somehow their names reflect their character and their personhood. So listen, when I say that God has the ability to change your name, what I am saying is that God has the ability to change who you are, your personhood, and your character. So here's Abram, and his name is being changed. Later on in verse 15, God will look at Abram and say, As for Sarah, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarah, but shall, Sarah shall be her name, and I'll bless her and also give you a son by her. Notice, he is going to change both of their names. And this is not just, this is not just a terminology shift. This is a change in who these individuals are. Now, God had been working in their lives, but now he is changing who they are as they follow him. Isn't it wonderful to know that we have a God who is able to change our character, our personhood? We have a God that's able and powerful enough to work in our lives. Isn't that awesome to know? Because my friends, you and I, all of us in this place, we need God to work in our lives and changes. May I just say that? All of us do. There is not one person in this place, listen to me, there is not one person in this place who's reached perfection. All of us are undergoing transformation and change in our lives. And we need that. And God has the ability, as he is changing us, as he's changing the name, he is changing our personhood, he is changing our character to reflect his son, the Lord Jesus. And here he is changing the name of Abram and Sarah, and he is affecting their lives, the very core of who they are. The name reflected the personhood, the name reflected the character of the individual. But the name, knowing the name of the individual, also spoke about a relationship, a connectivity, as Dr. Herschel Hobbs would refer to it. Somehow, knowing somebody's name helped bring you into a relationship with that individual. Now, think about it again in terminology today. You go up and you begin talking to somebody Usually one of the first questions or at least one of the first uh, efforts you will make is to find out the name of the person you're talking to, right? Wouldn't that be one of the first steps? Yes, no. Yes, it would be. You would go up to that individual and you would perhaps introduce yourself, expecting that person to introduce 
himself, herself. Why? Because that connects the relationship, knowing each other's names. This idea of knowing the name of God, for example. Knowing the name of God somehow, especially in the Old Testament, would, would mean that you knew God in an intimate relationship. Remember Moses later on? And Moses is being called by God to go out to uh, the people to effect their release from Egypt. And what does, what does Moses say? Well, he says a lot. He has all kinds of excuses about he's not able to speak well and all of that. But you remember Moses said something like this. God, I don't even know your name. Remember? God, I, I, don't, I don't know exactly. Who, who am I going to tell them has sent me? Who am I going to speak to Pharaoh and, and whose name will I mention? And it is at that place that God reveals himself to Moses as Yahweh God. I am that I am. Knowing the name of God, knowing the name of an individual brought those people into relationship. And for us, when we know somebody's name, it builds a relationship. And here in this place, what God is saying is that Abraham, I know your name. I have given you this name. I have revealed myself to you. And now we are in a relationship. Now, God had already begun that relationship we know that genesis chapter 12 and god had been faithful in 24 years but what god is doing is reaffirming that relationship some people in the especially in old testament terminology they call it a covenant but what is a covenant it is an agreement it is a relationship let's say that you and i somebody at one point in our lives, we entered into a relationship, a covenant relationship, let's say through marriage. For me, as I covenanted with Leslie, as I married her, I made an agreement, but also I entered into a relationship with her, right? And here in this passage, what God is saying to Abram is that I have entered into a relationship with you. I have the authority to change your name, but I know who you are and you know who I am. And this is the relationship that you can count upon. Now, notice he had talked about the land of Canaan that he was going to give him. Been there, heard that, right? Absolutely. He has talked about the son that he was going to provide. We've heard that as well. But notice in this that he speaks about how this relationship will continue on through the, the descendants of Abraham. And here he changes his name to reflect that because he's in a relationship. God has the ability to change the name. The personhood, the character, and the relationship itself. But I want you to see, as you read through this relationship and you read through this covenant that's given, you recognize that what God is going to do is continue to change the plan, to change the destiny that Abram had had for himself. When God intervened in his life, God said, I'm going to do something within you. Now, I don't want you to equate me with some of these uh, 
prosperity gospel preachers or some of these others who would go out there and talk about your destiny and your but but may we say that when God intervenes in our lives he does change our destiny in a good way (laughs) when God intervenes in our lives when he changes our name if you will he affects our future And here as he changes the name of Abraham, even in the name change, what he is saying is, Abram, I am going to use you for all generations to come. And I'm going to be faithful to your descendants. Now, this name change, we've been kind of dancing around it this morning, but what does this mean? Well, Abram meant something like exalted father exalted father now that sounds wonderful especially for a guy that has no children yet exalted father but abraham means something like father of nations or father of many or father of multitudes so what is god saying god is reminding him that he's not just going to be a father Not just to one, but he is going to be a father to the nation. There are going to be all kinds of descendants that will come. Sarah. Some people believe that both Sarah and Sarah are, um, they, they speak about her being a princess. Some would say Sarah means to contend or persist. Sarah, on the other hand, means princess. She's going to be a princess. Now, how many of you would love to have a name that meant princess, ladies? You ought to come to my house. I should have named my last daughter, my second daughter, uh, Sarah, probably. She loves, in the mornings before we come to Mother's Day out or so, she would put on her dress or maybe even on a Sunday morning. If you see her today, just watch for her. She'll make a little spin. And she'll ask you probably. She asks me all the time, Dad, don't I look like a princess? To which I always say, absolutely. Now hurry up and get in the car so we can get there. We're late. (laughs) Princess. So get this. In this name change, what he's communicating is that this plan that he has for both of them this destiny that he has for both of them is to effect the nation itself now it's hard to imagine now we look back and we see abraham and sarah and we see the nation today and we think about all the history and for us it's not very difficult maybe but there's abraham and there's sarah and god's saying to them that they will be the father of a nation, the princess of a nation. And yet they don't even have one child that they have born together. But God says, I got a plan for you. I got a plan for you. I'm going to have a relationship with you. I love the way Warren Wiersbe states this. He says, when Abraham looked down to the dust, he was reminded of the promise of God. 
when he looked up at the stars of the sky, he was reminded of the promise of God. And even when he heard his name called, Abraham, he was reminded of the promise of God. Wherever he looked, whenever he heard his name, he recognized that God had made a promise, not only to him, but to the generations to come. And then in those generations, God would provide the mark of circumcision to remind them that the promise had been made and that God had a plan and that God had a purpose and that God was going to affect all of the world. You see, God has the authority to change your name and to change mine. And God has the ability to do it. To change our character, to change our relationship with him. And my friends, to change our destiny. Do you recognize that this morning that God has so much for us, so much intended for us, no matter where we are in our lives, no matter what season of life we find ourselves in, do you understand what a, what a role we can play for the kingdom of God? Some say, well, I'm not going to be necessarily a, an Abraham or a Sarah who affects the whole of a nation. My friends, every day that we raise godly children, our godly grandchildren, every day when we demonstrate faithfulness to our spouses, every day when we show character in our workplace, every day when we speak the name of Jesus Christ to individuals, every day we have that opportunity to affect the kingdom of God. And listen to me, we do not live just for the here and now. What we do here and now affects the eternity of individuals. Can you imagine what a big purpose and plan that God has? And when he comes in to change your heart and your lifestyle and to, to change who you are, he wants to use you. He wants to affect the whole of your family and community and nation. Because he has aspirations. He has a name. He has a purpose. He has aspirations for this name change. Here's Abram living in relationship to God. And what God is going to aspire to do in this man's life is to demonstrate the grace and the glory of God. Grace. Why was Abram chosen? It was the divine, sovereign call of God. There is no place in this scripture where it says that Abram had such merit in his life or such righteousness in life that he deserved the call of God upon him. Nowhere will you find that. As a matter of fact, later on, God will speak to the people of Israel and he'll say to them that they were called not because they were the greatest or the strongest, but he called them because they were the weakest and the smallest. That is the grace of God. That is the grace of God. And the grace of God that he would enter into relationship. Last night, 
I was reading through the scripture again, and I got to verse 3, and I was astounded again. It says, Abram fell on his face. Get this. And God talked with him. Does that not just astound you? That God would speak in such a way to a mortal man that Abram could have a conversation with God? That's because of grace. The unmerited favor of God. He didn't deserve it. He didn't deserve to enter into such a relationship. But God was willing to enter into his life and speak to him and change him. That's what grace does. And when our name is changed and we reflect upon the grace of God, how each one of us are at the place we are in our lives, each one of us, we've been saved because God was gracious to us. Every one of us should reflect that grace to others. The name that we carry with us. Some of you have read that Christian classic, Pilgrim's Progress or so. In that text, the porter comes to the pilgrim and the porter says, What is your name? To which the pilgrim answers something to the effect, Well, now it is Christian. But at first, it was graceless. And you know those of us who are in this place who call ourselves Christians? Those of us who have truly believed and trusted and followed the Lord Jesus Christ understand we were at a place where we could have been considered graceless. But when God intervened through his grace, we recognized salvation. For the grace and then for the glory of God. He aspires to demonstrate his glory through our lives. Through this name change. Well, in verse 17 it says, Abraham fell on his face and laughed. We're going to talk about laughter in the coming days. But it just says, Abram laughed and said in his heart, Shall a child be born to a man who is 100 years old? And shall Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? And Abram said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. Listen to Abraham. Abraham, here's what God has to say. And Abram, Abraham says, uh, God, have you forgotten? I'm 99, and by the time this child is born, I'll be 100. And Sarah you know, here's Sarah, she's 99, she'll be, a, I mean, she's 89, she'll be 90 years old. So he laughs. Don't discount, Abram, you would too. Absolutely. Makes no sense. Humanly impossible. So Abraham says, please let Ishmael... My 13-year-old, let him be the one. God goes on. I'm not going to read it all. God says, I'm going to bless him, but he is not the promised one. I've told you that. You went to plan B, but that was not plan A for your life. But why would God, why would God choose Abraham, 
100-year-old man by the time of the birth? Why would he choose a barren 90-year-old woman? Why would he do that? To demonstrate his glory. Do you not see this repetition throughout Scripture? Where God would choose the least likely of candidates. And he would work through their lives. Why? So that he could demonstrate his glory. See, God doesn't always choose. He doesn't always choose those who speak most eloquently. Those who are skilled in the best ways of the world. God does not do that. Not always. God chooses of the weakest, the most unlikely, to demonstrate his glory. Look, if God used just our talents and we could achieve things just through our talents, who would receive the glory? We would. But God, in his own way, chooses that individual, the most unlikely, so that he can work through them. Because, get this, when this child is born, when Isaac is born... Everybody who hears about it, everybody will know that God has intervened. That God has intervened. Make no mistake about it. Wouldn't that be an awesome thing? Yeah, I can't tell you how many times I have prayed for churches that I have pastored. Wherever I've been, I have prayed, God, you do something in this place so that no man can get the credit for it. No person can get the credit for it. God, you do something in this place through your people that only you could have done. And allow us to recognize that. Allow the community itself to recognize that it wasn't because of a preacher or a deacon or a Sunday school teacher. It wasn't through anything else but a divine intervention from God. So that everybody then would give glory to him. Isn't that our purpose? Isn't that what God aspires to us when he changes our name to call us into his family? It's not just to reflect our giftedness and talents. It is to demonstrate his grace and his glory to all we come in contact with. See, he has the authority to change the name. He has the ability to do it, and he aspires to do it. So my question is, has he changed your name? If you're a believer in Christ, understand he has changed your name. And he is in the process of changing your character and your personhood, transforming you. You can believe that. But this morning, if you've never come to that place where you have placed your faith and your trust totally and entirely upon Jesus Christ, then you just have the same old name you've always had. Same old personhood, same old destiny. But I say to you again, our God, our El Shaddai, our all-sufficient one, he is able to change your name, even today. If you call upon the Lord Jesus, you believe in your heart, you confess with your mouth, Jesus will save you and change who you are. And begin a life of transformation and give you a journey that you would never 
believe could have existed beforehand. If you would bow before him and trust him with all of your heart, with all of your life, place yourself in his hands. Would you hear the call of God? Those of you who've been changed in the name, give glory to him this morning. Praise him. Thank him and serve him. Those of you who haven't, run to him this morning and be saved. We pray for you as the Lord works in your life. Let's pray together. Father, Lord, we do come this morning. And God, how blessed we are. Those of us who are believers, Lord, we didn't do anything to deserve this, just as Abram didn't. And Lord, you worked in our lives. You called us. And as we responded in faith, you granted us forgiveness. Oh God, how thankful we are. But God, I pray this morning, I pray, Lord, for that one which is lost. And God, I pray that today they would experience the power of your Holy Spirit in their lives. I pray that they would experience conviction and, Lord, that they would come with courage to follow you. God, thank you for this moment to reflect on who we are, the name that we've been assigned. And, Lord, we pray that we would respond accordingly through this invitation. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand this morning?